from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. He's an anti-winger. Hates chicken wings. Leave! Because the boomers are out there going, ah, well, you never heard of the flu? We made it through that every single year. I'm a lunatic. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Three o'clock hours here. Ari's in our Finley Toyota Studios. JVT, Cofield, let's do it. It's time for The Three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. I'm sure no one has tracked what I've said over the years, my opinions on different things over the years. I will readily admit, though, if you go back and listen, that I have changed my opinions on many things, stupid things that I would gripe about, like drafting, check that, grading the NFL draft. I actually enjoy it now, John. I think it's a way to frame the draft. I think it's a good way to set up a story where you're listing more information about the guys who were drafted. You're also covering the need aspects of a team entering and exiting the draft. So I have no issue with giving teams grades after the NFL draft. You? Uh, no, of course not. Look, you swear like <laughs> we had like the, there haven't been scouts out there literally grading, looking at these players, evaluating them, giving them some sort of value when it comes to where they land in the NFL draft. And so it does make sense to grade on the evaluations that they have made these players. Are their grades accurate? Are they subjective? Yes, 100%. It's subjective to the person who's grading. But you can still grade. So with the the pompous, like, I don't know how you grade a draft. This is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you can, right? In, in case of the Raiders, for example. You're not grading the draft, and that's the other thing. You're not grading the draft on the quality of player. You're grading the draft on addressing need and the value of the player selected. Case in point, Alex Leatherwood, by many indications, was going to be a second-round pick, many and almost all, right, in the range of a second-round selection. Raiders took him in the first round. You get dinged on your grade for a move like that. And, by the way, when your GM comes out and says, oh, yeah, my, we know it's going to be controversial, when they readily admit almost that they reach, that's going to be a ding on your grade. Like that's the kind of stuff you're grading, not saying Alex Leatherwood's going to suck. Alex Leatherwood could be a Hall of Famer, but you're grading on what the Raiders did with their draft selections, just using them as an example. It's perfectly fine to grade. And I would challenge anyone who says that grading is stupid uh, because they'll back it up by saying, well, it's just your personal perception. No, it's yeah. not. It could be hmm. what you thought of players going in, but it's also once the player is there, then you have the landing spot. Then you can ask people, hey, what do you think of that guy? What's he worth that spot? You collect information. Then you deliver it to the audience. And when I read tweets like, if you're grading a draft that just happened and none of them have played a snap yet, what exactly are you grading? John just told you. You know what I will grade? F. Because you're lazy and you don't want to do the story. All right. How about that? There's a grade. You don't want to be bothered with it. Or, even worse, you're carrying water for the organization in your town because you want to make sure that you don't give a low grade. That will piss off people in the organization. So we all have a lot in life. Rating drafts is a point of reference now and then down the road. There's nothing better than going back four years ago and seeing someone give this, you know, unbelievable grade to the freaking Cardinals, right? And then you're like, wait, Josh Rosen didn't last one year with the Cardinals and he didn't get a fifth year, his fifth year option picked up and the Cardinals got a good grade. Like, it's all part of the mix. And 
here's the thing. As a football fan, this isn't really a media rant. As a football fan, I want as much information as possible. So if I saw, you know, 60 different stories grading teams around the NFL, yay! More information, more takes, more opinions. Why is that a bad thing? There isn't. But, well, you know what I also find funny? <laughs> okay, I don't want to. This is pretty good. So one of one of the people that has been vocal about disagreeing with this uh, over on Raider Nation Radio, Vinny Bonsignor, correct? Uh, Vinny B, uh, against the draft grading. Somebody on Twitter asked him two days ago, how would you grade the draft? He responded, definitely a solid B. So what are we doing? I thought we were against draft grades. What's happening here? I don't know. I don't know. I like it. I've enjoyed them. We've seen the Raiders drafted from as low as a D up to a B. And you know what? Hey, for fans, down the road three years from now, you can go back and say, uh, you know what? You're a moron. Your grade was terrible. Or your information or your sources were terrible. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. All right. On to the NBA. Uh, John Morant. Issues last night with emotion. And his phone or his computer or his tablet or whatever he was doing to uh, send a message on Twitter? Apparently, he called the referee a clown. Uh, well, see, this is the thing. I don't want to read too much into this, all right? He used a clown emoji. So I don't know if you're necessarily calling the official a clown. But John Morant uh, was, of course, ejected in the Memphis Grizzlies 118-104 loss to the New York Knicks. Had issues with the refs the whole entire time. And uh, Morant was ejected in about, uh, I think it was Morant and their head coach, um, ejected in about an 18-second span, right? So when you look at it, I guess he said something along the lines of, he retweets the clip, says, send threats, then want to give text, LOL, cry laughing emoji, smile with the sweat beat emoji, clown emoji. I guess that's what he was referring to? I don't think he called, I think he, I think it was just, this is a clown show, not necessarily calling the referee a clown. I'll stick up for it. No okay. fine for draw. All right. He's competitive. That's cool. Knicks are competitive. That's cool. It's good for New York. It's probably good for the league. Uh, we were getting tired of hearing Knicks topics for the last eight years while the Knicks sucked, and we kept hearing that uh, they were going to draw all these free agents when uh, truth is New York ain't an easy place to play. It's not a, a great place to live at times. And with Jim's, uh, Jim, Jim's, Jimmy Dolan or James Dolan, whatever you want to call him, with him as the owner, it's not really the most attractive place at times to land. But, hey, give him credit between hiring the right coach and collecting some pretty good personnel, and I'll say off the scrap heap, not that players are junk, but a lot of them are getting second and third chances. Good for the Knicks. This is a tremendous story with the New York Knicks who haven't been winning or anywhere close to 500 in a while. The New York Knicks are, I will admit, a pretty good story. And when you look at it from a betting perspective, they've covered 14 out of 15 games. How about that? They're 14-1 and one in their last 15 games against the spread. They have won 12 of 13. In control of the four seed, could potentially get home court in, a, in front of a smattering of fans at what is allegedly the mecca of basketball. And they have the most improved player and one of the better stories from a player perspective at Julius Randle. Like, that's what's really interesting about this is there's so many guys on this team that are having, like, career years and, like, playing at the peak of their performance that we have seen in a really long time. It's not only the Knicks getting revived, but it's, like, a couple of guys having their careers to an extent revived with Randall leading the way there. Like, that's – I think it's really fascinating. If I had told you before the season the Knicks and the Lakers would be heads up, what would you have said? <laughs> 
I guess I would have left, especially at the Knicks part. I don't know so much about the Lakers because you can understand them struggling after the run they went on and some injuries, but the Knicks, get, get out of here. They are both 37 and 28. Yep. And the way they've attained that record is is quite different. But again, you know, it goes back to the sports narrative. There are expectations in LA. So the Lakers look like a flop at nine games above 500. And the Knicks, Knicks fans feel like they've won a title. I mean, how we had Stephen A. Smith saying, if the Knicks simply make the playoffs versus the Nets, if the Nets don't, get to the conference finals, the Nets are the failure. I'm like, okay, I guess. And the Knicks are the bigger story. The Knicks are the bigger story. And in New York, it's probably true because there are more Knicks fans. They're the legacy franchise. The Nets are new to – not new to the area, but new to New York City. But you can see how warped, how down in the dumps, how depressed, how low the expectations were for Knicks fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would definitely push back. The Nets are still the bigger story at this point, especially given – how beat up they've been and the question marks about the continuity with this team, whether or not they're going to be able to put it together after only playing seven games with their big three on the court at one time. They're still the bigger story, but think what you want, Knicks fans. Hmm. Uh, going back to the draft grades, right? I haven't seen anyone complain about these grades for the Raiders. Sporting News A, Touchdown Wire A, NFL.com B+. Okay, none of those are the grades this year. But you know what? They were grading the 2019 draft where they took Cleve Ferrell 4 and Johnny Abram 27. A, A, B+. Has anyone gone back? Any of the Raiders fans? Any of them go back and go, terrible! Right. Terrible. Now, to be fair... I would say now looking back at that, I would give them a B. Now, you needed to freaking nail Furl, nail Abram. I think they made a good pick at 24 with Josh Jacobs. Again, this was 2019 when the Raiders got A's and B's from people who grade draft. uh, Why can't I speak today? Grade drafts. Furl, Jacobs. So that was a good pick. Furl, Jacobs, and Abram. But they also boosted up that draft. To probably a B, even though Furl was taken too early, and there's a lot of questions about Abram, because they also landed Max Crosby. They also landed Moreau and Renfro, and those were all fourth and fifth round picks. And they might have a starting cornerback, we think, in Trayvon Mullen in the second round. Mm-hmm. But there are some picks in there where you're like, wow, two of those are first round picks, and we don't know what you know what's going to happen moving forward with both Clee Furl and Abram. Yeah, like that's why again, like it's they know that ESPN. I think NFL Network something. I hate grades. What we get an A? Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, well, I think we go back. Like, there's a couple outlets that go back and like regrade drafts every once in a while. So you'll see that, and I think they do it right before they draft. Like they'll go back four years, five years. So maybe we wait a couple years to see. But you're absolutely right. You only hate people hate draft grades when their team gets slaughtered. So maybe I should maybe I should hate draft grades because the Colts did not get a good draft grade. So I'm down, actually. I've changed my mind, actually. This is garbage. This is a stupid system. John, on the way back, we celebrate a holiday. May the 4th be with you. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. You're listening to Cofield & Company. On ESPN Las Vegas. I do love what's going on with the Raiders and certain aspects of the team. It's time to compete. 
status quo and those in Raider Nation who are status quo nation, and it's it's not all of them, but those who do not want to criticize players on the Raiders, listen, management's telling you, it's open game. In the defensive backfield, didn't work last year, John. And they mm-hmm. continue to add more and more options and challengers to the guys who have been there. They drafted a bunch of dudes who can play those positions. They signed Carl Joseph. Now they just added Casey Hayward in the last 10 minutes. Josina Anderson with the breaking news. So Hayward, who played for Gus Bradley, goes back a ways with the Chargers and Ron Miles, who's now on the Raiders staff, a pro bowler. It's been a while. 2016 and 17, he has now signed on to the Raiders. And this guy goes all the way back to the 2012 draft in the second round. So veteran dude, 31 years old. And, you know, everyone in that defensive backs room for the Raiders has to be looking around going, all right, okay. They're saying what I was doing wasn't good enough. Now I got to compete. I love, I love what they're setting up here, right? I bring in another guy in, in Casey Hayward. Yeah, uh, I think the the presence kind of helps. He had a really down year last year by a grading perspective from Pro Football Focus, graded out pretty poorly, like under 60. And again, I always say that PFF is not the end-all be-all, but not one of his best seasons in terms of what we have seen from him. But that was also on the tail end of a 2019 that was absolutely incredible. So maybe you get that recaptured form from him. But regardless, a guy with his presence and with his ability and familiarity would definitely help a room like the Raiders have in terms of their defensive back. So I don't think it's a negative at all. Good deal. Good deal. How you doing today on this holiday? May the fourth be with you. You have no idea what that means, but you keep saying it. What do you mean? You're not a Star Wars guy. You have no shot, like, what the reference is or what's going on here. Um, I'm more of a Star Wars guy than Star Wars haters. I'm not a Star Wars lover, but I do go and watch the movies every year, and I'm definitely down with what Star Wars what the franchise is doing now. Which is? You haven't seen their newest stuff. What's their newest stuff? What do you mean? I mean, I know there, I know there's a baseball game coming up. Are we talking about this? Well, that's part of it. You, you have seen they rolled out ma- massive promotions all over sports and trying to cozy up with ESPN. What was the baseball promotion? So they have uh, coming up. I don't know if you saw this ties in, actually. Did you watch what happened the other day, yesterday, actually, with the Warriors and Pelicans game? No. So they did a Marvel game where it was like a a separate broadcast on ESPN2, and it was like a hero game. They called it like Heroes Arena or something like that. And, like, you know, they assigned superhero, like Marvel heroes to each player. Like, um, who was, uh, I think, Steph Curry. Was, Was Steph Curry Captain Marvel? And so, like, any time he would hit a three, there'd be, like, this trail, this plume of smoke coming from his three ball. And when he would hit it, the Captain Marvel insignia would explode on, the bo- like, the board. Draymond Green had a massive dunk and Thor Thunder, like, came shooting down or lightning. And so it was, like, just superhero themed, like, kind of drawn in kids, super comic booky. It was a lot of fun. I watched the whole thing. It was almost like the Nickelodeon Bears-Saints playoff game. So they're doing the same thing, it sounds like, in Major League Baseball and Star Wars coming up, I think, next month. But they're having a Star Wars-themed broadcast for Major League Baseball. Right. Okay. Well, you've seen The Mandalorian, right? That's what I was talking about when I'm saying. Oh, uh, you know, okay. All right. Is, right. The Mandalorian's awesome. Yes, it is. Sorry. It's been it's been over for like what it ended like a month ago or two. So that was completely out of my mind. Yes. Did you see the picture I sent you guys? A throwback picture of Al Davis meeting Darth Vader. I did. 
It's this is a classic photo that was sent out by Paul Gutierrez, who covers the Raiders for ESPN.com. Anything you, you any thoughts on the photo? Uh, yeah, actually, because did you see? I'm going to pull up and make sure I have this correct. Did you see the story behind this photo? Actually, oh, tell me. Uh, uh, Amy Trask tweeted this out. She uh, actually said, "My annual May 4th post, a transcript of my conversation with Al in this photo." Amy, I need you to greet Darth Vader. Al, who the bleep is Darth Vader? Exactly. And, st- <laughs> and still so shook awesome. his hand. That's so great. First of all, I love anyone who's dressing up as Darth Vader to meet an NFL owner. So that yeah. takes that either takes major sack or a sack that's not being used and probably an incel. Um, I guess your sack could be used. You could be an incel. The other thing I noticed in the picture, because, you know, we're very big on coming out of the pandemic and reinventing how we greet each other and we're banning handshakes. And the ban of handshakes on Cofield and company is not just because of diseases and viruses. It's also because the handshake really became an antiquated deal where people really didn't know what they were doing or were trying to prove too much. Look at, I, I feel like Darth either Darth didn't allow Al Davis to get into the lock of a real handshake or Al Davis off of what Amy Trask said, kind of gave him the soft shake because it looks to me like Al Davis's fingers are being just annihilated because he couldn't get all the way up, you know, kind of joint to joint in between the index finger and the thumb. Mm-hmm. And knowing Al Davis and how competitive he was and how fiery he was, if if uh, the Darth guy did it on purpose, I'm surprised Al didn't take his left and just belt him. Judging by the photo, I don't think Darth Vader has a lot of power behind the grip. I think it's just a very <laughs> soft shape. Judging like, by the photo, yeah. I don't. It's Darth Vader. Come on, have you not seen the movies? Well, it's got a grip of steel. Well, he, no, actually, technically, that was a force. He's actually never really gripped anybody. It was, Good point. Yeah, it was from a distance. If, if he uh, goes to a weak handshake, can he can he use the force through a weak handshake? Potentially, does the, I would does the so. force with contact? I think so. Although. One of the one of the best movie tropes like ever of all time is when like like magic fights like the Jedi who are super like have all the force powers in the world end up in like a fist fight and they're just like elbowing and punching one another like that happens a lot and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of force behind those punches so I don't think it really affects that but I just the reason why I say that is if you look at the photo and you're right because it looks like Al's fingers are only being gripped I'm judging by the angle of Darth Vader's fingers underneath Al's which don't look like they're turned upward. Thus, no pl- uh, no pressure is being applied. See, that worked out nicely. May the 4th be with you, John. May the 4th be with you. On the way back, we're going to get to draft expert from the Draft Network, and we'll find out what he thought about the Raiders draft and also some of the other drafts around the league that weren't so hot and a little more on Aaron Rodgers and what the Broncos were doing in this most recent draft. Were they setting up to trade for A-Rodge? Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. More draft recap here on Cofield and Company as we uh, bring in Ben Solak from the Draft Network, and he's got all his grades up there. I want to get into the grades here in a second. I've seen a bunch of NFL writers fire out tweets the last day and a half saying grades are stupid. I disagree with them. I actually think uh, grades are one of the most fun things we do, and they're great to look back on. 
I get why people get frustrated with it. But at the same time, like, you know, uh, you give a letter grade. It helps you understand which classes you like and which you don't like. The most important thing is understanding why the team selected who they selected, you know, what which teams are going after athletes, which teams are going after production, and kind of how that, that shapes how they build their squad. You guys smashed the Raiders. Now, I saw a lot of the national people give the Raiders mm-hmm. Bs and Cs, and uh, some of the Bs were from places like NFL.com. Uh, you guys gave them at the Draft Network a D. Why a D? Well, you draft three safeties and with a bad roster, and that's kind of a, an opening question, Marco. They've they've got a good player there in Trevon Merrick uh, in the second round. I like that pick for value, and I thought, all right, good. You've got Merrick in the building. Now you try to, to work around that. And then they take Divine Diablo in the third round, Tyreek Gillespie in the fourth round. Again, I don't think that those are bad players. I think probably Diablo was a little bit overdrafted. Uh, and he's a bit of a safety linebacker hybrid guy. But this defense struggled last year at outside corner. Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett, both recent draft picks, both haven't really held down the job too well. Would have liked to have seen competition there. Uh, this team struggled to get after the quarterback last year. Had fourth fewest sacks in the league. Uh, they add Yannick Ngakwe in free agency, and then Malcolm Kuntz, who was definitely overdrafted. The Raiders like to reach for their guys. Uh, and nothing really else on the interior, where the, that defensive line was already thin, and then they, they most recently cut Mo Hurst. And so your ability to get after the passer and then your ability to play true man coverage, which is really what defense the NFL boils down to. Can you get pressure with your front four? Can you play man on the outside? They didn't really have much of an investment in and rather kind of filling out the safety depth chart on a defense that's already poor. I'm not sure how much of a, a measurable impact that'll have. I don't mind the Leatherwood pick too much uh, because I expected him to be a first rounder. He has the sort of profile that teams like. They just have to be cognizant of the fact that he might be a better guard than tackle. And with the moves that they've made, they've got room at both spots. It's just that usually you don't want to be drafting a guard at 17. You want to be drafting a tackle. Uh, And so hopefully he can hang at that left tackle role, not too short just yet. And so in general, they didn't really go after premium positions uh, and they, they reached for players that they really liked. And Hey, if they had a good history of getting players in the building and, and hitting on their draft picks, then you don't mind reaching. They do not. Uh, and so this feels like they're, they're kind of sticking to their guns and their guns have failed them down the stretch. And so that's why you hear about some of the, the frustration in the front office and some of the, the disharmony between Mayock and Gruden. It's because these drafts typically haven't worked out too well for them. And they kind of, uh, once again, march to the beat of their own drum. So you believe in that lack of harmony that uh, Mayock may not be happy with Gruden. And where are you getting this from? Yeah, I mean, the sensation you get from pretty much everybody that you talk to in the league is that Mayock was only ever going to get a job in a front office, at least a substantial job in a front office, with Gruden because of the experience that they had together when they were in the media. And they were NFL outsiders saying, oh, if we ran a team and if we did this, we'd be able to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, And so this was the horse to which Mayock had to hitch his wagon, but it obviously came with conditions, which is that Gruden has a very heavy hand in the process of the draft. And from what we understand, that heavy hand works in the early rounds a lot. Like, that's where Gruden really wants to make the picks. And the later rounds, he doesn't really care as much. And he lets Mayock take the reins. And so there's discontinuity there in terms of what are we prioritizing at the top of the draft versus late in the draft. Obviously, the Raiders have made a ton of investments on offense over the last couple of years. And that defense really suffered for it. And so now they're kind of trying to, to, to shift gears in the middle of the drive, which is always tricky. And so I think that, you know, Mayock was brought in by Gruden to work under Gruden. And usually on draft day, that head coach first, GM second approach does not work. Historically, we've seen that be a difficult approach. And so, yeah, I think there's clearly some 
disharmony there. I think that winning cures all ills, and it's nothing that can't be overcome if the Raiders win one or two more games last year and make it to the playoffs, but they didn't. Uh, and so now there's even more pressure to, to make it to the playoffs, win a playoff game, and to be able to demonstrate to one another that this could potentially work. Talking about the Raiders draft here on Cofield and Company, it's Ben Solak on with us from the Draft Network. A spot today is brought to you by uh, Bet Online. Back to the Leatherwood pick. You know, they go and get a guy they want, and you're right. I think he'll be, at a minimum, a really good guard, but they need a right tackle. He needs to be a right tackle at the 17th pick. Who are the tackles who went after Leatherwood where you were like, why didn't you take that guy? Oh, man. Uh, so Tevin Jenkins had a fall that surprised a lot of people out of Oklahoma State. We, we expected him to be a big, grooting guy because he's nasty, he's physical, he's angry in the running game, dominant dude. Uh, they pass on him, but a lot of teams did. And so I think that there were concerns about Tevin's general maturity and, and approach, which we'll see if those are warranted or not. If you're a good player, you know, in the league, teams overlook a lot. So I was pr- surprised by that. Christian Darisol was another one that was largely ranked above Leatherwood. He went 23 to the Vikings, uh, but he had a knee or excuse me, not a knee. My apologies. He had a, a, an abdomen, a groin, a, a mid mid torso injury that was generally unreported on. And we suddenly heard about right there at the end and that kind of affected his fall. So those guys are more so a little bit risks where you want to take them versus where you don't. Uh, Samuel Cosby and Dylan Radins out of, Texas and North Dakota State, respectively, were also, in general, ranked consensus higher than Alex Leatherwood was, but those aren't really the Gruden types. They're much more so long, lean, pass protector, quick guys. The Colton Miller mold, which obviously has worked for the Raiders, but Gruden wants guys who are a little bit more physical, a little more glass-eating. And so, as I said, I I thought Leatherwood was going to be in play for them, and he was, uh, though you would have liked to have seen them trade back and still get that player and be able to get a little bit extra value on top you still go and you get your guy. And for all the struggles the Raiders have had over the last couple of years, they've generally done well bringing in offensive linemen. Uh, so I think that you've got a good shot for Leatherwood to be a productive pro. Koontz, Diablo, Gillespie, Hobbs, Morrissey, any of those guys you like that you think can actually be uh, someone who goes way beyond their draft spot, actually becomes a starter in the league? I think if anybody, it'll be Diablo, uh, wide receiver, convert, safety, linebacker, hybrid sort of a player. Virginia Tech just tried to use him to answer a bunch of questions, solve a bunch of problems at the college level. So very positionless in that sense. But he's a really quality athlete. He brings ball skills as well. You're probably going to play him in the box as an overhang. So not really technically a linebacker, but more so a guy who plays outside of the tackle box over number three to trips, over the tight end, give the ability to run with your Travis Kelsey's of the world, right? I was about to say your Hunter Henry's, but he's out of the division, thank goodness. Uh, so you run with your <laughs> Travis Kelsey's of the world, run with your Noah fans of the world, uh, and then be able to play physical against the run. And so it's a little bit of a hybrid position, which can be tricky, but when a player plays it well, you know, in the division, Kaiser White out of, out of uh, West Virginia plays for Los Angeles, does that role and does it pretty well. That's an impact player. That's an important guy. So that kind of edge safety sort of a situation. Uh, I think Diablo can hit that role. You've got to be able to coach him up and use him correctly. Gus Bradley, the defensive coordinator there, not necessarily has been the most creative guy in the past, so we'll see. Talking NFL draft, Ben Solak is on ESPN Las Vegas. You can find his site on Twitter. He's part of the Draft Network at the Draft Network. Other teams you did not like. The Texans didn't have picks until the third round, but you gave them an F. They took a quarterback in Davis Mills. They actually took hometown guy Brevin Jordan, tight end out of Miami, who went to uh, Bishop Gorman. Why did you hate their class? Uh, well, you know, it, it's tough when you don't have a first-round pick and a second-round pick for Houston. Uh, that does limit you, and I will allow them that. I will give them that concession. With that said, right, Mills had this really big recruiting hype coming in, and I simply just did not find – 
tools worthy of investment on his college film. Only started for 11 games. You don't see an elite arm. You don't see elite mobility or size. Uh, you don't see elite processing. You don't see elite accuracy. So what are we hanging our hat on here in terms of development? What's the cardinal trait? What's going to help him get away with his weaknesses and his mistakes early? I can't find it. Uh, and so despite the really high recruiting ranking, oh, he's pro style. He does. He manages the game. He's risk averse. It just did not show up in his college film. And there, there's, there can be a lot of reasons for that, but you're making a really long bet here. It reminds me of, of when Jared Stidham came out of Auburn, right? He was a high-caliber recruit, went to Baylor, Juco, whatever, and just never manifested in college, still gets drafted fourth round by the league, and it still never manifests itself in the league. So Mills was a big overdraft for me. Nico Collins as well, trading up to go get him. Uh Heightweight speed player, developmental player, but never really grew at the University of Michigan. Didn't have good quarterback play, but nothing there that's that's willing. You're ready to hang your hat on and say he's ready to do this right now in the league. So the the Texans certainly have a long arc in terms of figuring out when they're going to be good again. Um, but I'm not sure these would have been the players I'm, I picked, especially if I could just trade back and get more picks and, and kind of get ready for my long rebuild instead of trading up to go get Nico Collins and such like that, to me that, that that was a surprising approach from Houston. So worth a swing, but I'm not sold on them. We're talking about the Broncos a lot today here in Vegas because the Broncos could be one of the teams on the list trying to go after Aaron Rodgers, and you gave the Broncos a B-. minus. I like their draft, and I like the overall look of the organization. If I needed to make a trade and throw a bunch of draft capital, like real players, young players, at the Packers, I feel like the Broncos are in pretty good shape here with, uh, you know, if they wanted Drew Locke, you get a project quarterback to be a bridge to uh, Jordan Love, but they've also got a ton of young defenders, and if you're a team that's, uh, you know, sort of in that transition like the Packers would be, the Broncos have a lot of usable names now. Yeah, I, the, the Broncos class is good. I, w- I, I knocked them for not taking Justin Fields. Uh, I, I thought that was surprising. I also thought that if they had any big need on defense, it was stack linebacker, right? A.J. Johnson and Josie Jewell, they're linebackers right now, and neither one are, are signed beyond this season. Neither one are, are high-caliber players, in my opinion. They're more so rotational guys. They took a linebacker just inside the top 100 in Baron Browning, who's – an on-ball, off-ball hybrid. So I'm not even sure they've really got their stack linebacker yet either. And so uh, I was surprised they left that position open, and I was surprised that they left quarterback open as well. Uh, with that said, still drafted good players, I agree. And they, they're really clearly trying to make an investment in the secondary. You got Pat Sertan now. You bring in Fuller from Chicago. Keep Kareem Jackson. Keep Justin Simmons. Draft Jamar Johnson. Draft Caden Stearns. Bryce Callahan's still there. They've got a nasty coverage unit. Uh, and that's what Vic Fangio's always done is he's been able to play bunch of defensive backs, play safeties in the slot, keep size on the field, hang in there against the run, and then be really dominant against the pass. And so I do think Denver's got themselves a nice setup on defense for answering some of these growing offenses in the AFC West. You have Kansas City, and then obviously uh, what what LA's recently been able to do with Herbert, what the Raiders have done under Gruden. You need to be able to cover and cover well for six games if you're going to be able to hang in this division. I think they can. Uh, Do they have the quarterback necessary to have a consistent offense to win enough games? I don't think so yet. Um, but like you're saying, they're, they're positioned to make that trade if it arises for them. I just think they should have just drafted Justin Fields and made a day of it. Ben Solak's with us. It's brought to you by uh, betonline.ag. All right, let's go through some futures that we can find offshore on these rookies. I always love uh, looking at these, making some picks, and then tracking them. Uh, let's look at first Trevor Lawrence. Over under 27 touchdowns. How prolific can he be year one? 
I do think that you're going to have a good shot for over 27 touchdowns. Jacksonville's going to be playing behind in several games, which is always nice for a few garbage time touchdowns. Remember, it's a 17-game season, and that does matter because it's probably an extra 1.52 touchdowns on top of what he'll usually get. Uh, and also, they're going to be explosive play heavy. Marvin Jones and DJ Chark, those are vertical receivers. So they're not going to be nickel and diamond down the field and then running the ball inside the five too much. They're going to get explosive play. So I would lean over on that one. Touchdowns, though, is always a, uh, it's a finicky bet to make. Will Justin Fields start game one for the Bears of the 2021 regular season? Yes, is plus 350. Yeah, I was surprised to see that line at such a discrepancy. I took yes yesterday, and I would take yes pretty much uh, all the way through. Uh, Andy Dalton's a fine player. I think Justin Fields is clearly going to be a better one. Team is going to want him to start. Even if you think it's, it's a slight shade to know, you know, oh, they'll start the veteran and bring him along. Plus 350 is really, really enticing. That's uh, that, Those are big, long odds for a player of Fields' caliber, and so I'm willing to take yes at that price tag. Patriots, will Mac Jones start game one of the 2021 regular season plus uh, 300 on the yes? Yeah, that one's a little bit trickier just because I don't think Mac is going to make the same impression in camp that Fields will because he doesn't have the same physical tools. Uh, not to mention, I think it's easier to talk yourself into starting Newton because you remember what you did last season when you had Newton and he was healthy and he didn't have COVID yet and so on and so forth. I still think the odds are too far skewed. I still think that, yes, is probably your value bet, but I would want to stay away from it just because New England is generally a less predictable team than the other ones. I think the public will be all over over 775 yards receiving for Kyle Pitts. Uh, how much is it? 775? 775. Yeah, I mean, there's only been one rookie receiver since the – excuse me, one rookie tight end since the merger to go over 800 is Jeremy Shockey. <laughs> uh, and I'm not – I think the public will be all over it. I agree. I don't think that necessarily we get that number, though. Pitt's a talented player. Yeah. Um, but that tight end role in Arthur Smith's offense, they run the ball a lot. And that tight end's asked to block a lot. Uh, and he's going to be competing with Calvin and, and Julio for targets. And Matt Ryan's been throwing to those guys for four-plus, five-plus years. Uh, and so, to me, I seven seven five is 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 good. I've seen it in eight hundreds, eight twenty five, eight fifty. There, I'm starting to take the under. So maybe I'm not touching it just yet. But if it rises, then I'm going to fade and I'm going to go under. Will the Eagles be proficient in throwing the ball? Devontae Smith, their rookie, with Hurts, we think over under nine hundred yards receiving. Yeah, it's tempting because the wide receiver core in Philadelphia is really really shaky. Uh, with that said, I don't know if I have enough faith in Hertz as a passer, uh, which they, you know, when he was successful last season. It was his ability to scramble, his ability to, to, to leave the pocket on passing plays and go pick up yards with his legs. Uh, I don't think the Eagles are going to use Devontae too much as a field stretcher. They're probably going to use him more as a intermediate separator route runner, the Terry McLaurin role, which certainly could get him up to 950 if Hertz is accurate for 17 games. I'm not sure that he will be. On uh, his willingness to run means he's just going to attempt less passes in general. Uh, and so mm, I, I, I want to say over just because of how weak that team is. They'll be playing from behind and how weak that receiving core is. But there is reason to talk yourself out of it. So I'm not sure where I'm landing on that one just yet. Ooh, man, this one's aggressive. Najee Harris running back now with the Steelers at Obama. Over under 975 rushing yards. 
Yeah, that was a lot. I like the touchdowns one a lot more with Najee. Total touchdown 7.5 is what I've seen. Uh, that is rushing and receiving. He was such a good receiving back for Alabama. Receiving backs are especially deadly in the red zone because typically goal line defenses don't count very well for the running backs going out into the concept. Uh, and then he's obviously a big bruiser, so he's going to get short yardage carries as well. And so that line is rough. Uh, I don't know how much they're going to be running the ball when you have a veteran quarterback and that talented wide receiver core, and they they like to throw it shallow a lot so they can replace their running game with the quick passing game. So that that total on running yards is is healthy for me. If anything, I lead under there. I like the touchdowns number a lot more for Najee. Ben Solak's Withers, you can find his stuff up on Twitter at Benjamin Solak at the Draft Network. Let's close on this. Offensive Rookie of the Year, the odds are up. Uh, Quarterbacks are all, you know, inside of – 16 to 1, but a lot of the big names I just mentioned also all inside of 16 to 1. Najee Harris, Waddle, Pitts, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase. Give me someone uh, outside of that group who's got some value who you think could step up. And uh, I'm not saying pull off, you know, a freaking James Robinson where you're, you, know, you got a guy who's undrafted, but uh, who's a guy who's going to go into the NFL and post some big numbers as a quarterback, wide receiver, running back, tight end? Yeah, so in general, this award goes to a quarterback. If a quarterback is good, and then if a quarterback isn't good, it goes to big counting stats, and usually we're looking at rushing numbers. You can't find him anywhere yet, but Michael Carter, the running back the Jets took in the third round, or Trey Sermon, the running back the Niners took in the third round. If any offense is easy to run the ball in, it's Kyle Shanahan's offense. That's what they run in San Francisco, and that's what they'll run in New York because his old offensive coordinator has now been hired there. Both Sermon and Carter ran zone blocking schemes in college. Both of them are developed senior players. Both of them are NFL-ready in terms of their frame. Uh, So they have the potential to become bell cow backs there. Sermon more so has to deal with – a committee. Uh, they've got backs in hand there. In New York, nobody there has been good. Uh, they don't have a clear back. And so both of those players, if you're going to get a guy outside of the top five quarterbacks, it would be one of those running backs. Uh, we typically don't see wide receivers win this award. We definitely don't see tight ends with this award. So if you're going outside the quarterbacks, I would lean running back, but it's probably going to be one of those big five quarterbacks. Ben, tell people when they go to the Draft Network what they're going to find. I assume uh, lots of videos. I saw a lot of good tweets on the uh, UDFAs. What do you guys got cooking this week? Yeah, I know. So, I mean, it was draft grades, obviously, in the immediate swell of everything. And now we'll be going class by class, breaking down the picks that they made, why they made those picks, how those fits work. Uh, there'll be fantasy projections for those guys as well. Um, we'll be talking about all the different quarterback situations in the league now that we've seen who took quarterbacks and who didn't. And obviously, we've got a couple veterans on the trade market. So, basically, all the fallout from the draft, man, that's where we're going to be. Ben, that was awesome. Good job. Thank you. Sweet. I appreciate it, man. You have a good one. There he is, Ben Solak from The Draft Network on Twitter at The Draft Network, brought to you by PetOnline.ag. Time for a giveaway. It's your chance to win MLB The Show for Xbox. MLB The Show 21 is out now. You can create your dream team using Diamond Dynasty, play with your favorite legends, combo them with your favorite players from today. We'll do a little trivia. 364-1100-364-1100. Hometown hero Chris Bryant from Bonanza has nine homers on the year. He's on pace to hit 52. Give Ari the number, this number. What is Chris Bryant's career high season home run total? It's the most home runs Chris Bryant has hit in a season in the major leagues. What is that number on the dot? How many home runs in one season for Chris Bryant? 364-1100-364-1100. It's MLB The Show 21. It is out now for the Xbox. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. 
back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Von Tobel, are you more excited for the game coming up and the series starting here in about 15 minutes? The Astros and the Yankees or for the release in two days of Resident Evil 8? <laughs> what a stupid question. Of course it's Resident Evil. <laughs> What? What is what? What? It, what? Resident Evil Eight? What is it? All right. So, Resident Evil is a, a video game franchise, Steve. Uh, which actually, I got to look up when the first one came out. Like we're talking about, like early nineteen nineties. Um, it started like on the old school PlayStation, and it has stretched over you know all of these you know years, centuries. Nineteen ninety six. So it's like a survival horror video game series. It's spun off into like books and like, you know, you, you I think you've seen the movies or at least have seen reference to the movies. Mila Jokovic, I think, the star uh, in those movies, who's been a part of that franchise. So it, it's become very popular. Uh, but I've been, you know, I'm a closet gamer, love these games, but I have loved Resident Evil since I was a kid. You know, I'm a horror guy and I enjoy every part of this. So this is the eighth installment, the main game series. And this I've been waiting for this for a while, and now it's on like the next gen station. You know, it's PlayStation Five, so it's next gen graphics, all of this stuff. It's their second game in the first person shooter genre. Resident Evil Seven was a first person shooter. Now we're getting to the first FPS here too. Oh boy, I have been waiting for this for a really long time, and I get a week off next week, baby, just oh, wow. in time. You can just play there with yourself. That's great. Yes, yeah, so I can play with I, myself. I, I meant the video game. Uh, what? Who's going to get it worse? You as kind of an old guy playing Resident Evil from the other gamers or the Astros players from the Yankees fans throughout the series? Well, um, you need to realize what you're talking about here. Resident Evil is largely a solo player experience. Oh, I was getting nothing. Yeah. No, it's not like Call of Duty where I was called a, uh, a hard scoping beezy the other day by what I assume is like a 13 year old. And like I, I asked, I was like, what? A hard, what? A, a hard swing biatch? Yeah. And, like, I asked what that meant. I was like, I don't know what that means. And the guy was like, it means you play like a bee. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I still don't know what that means. I had to go to Ur- – this is how old I am, Steve. I had to go to Urban Dictionary to find out what this kid was calling me. And ultimately, I did find out that it's because I aim down the sights of my gun when I play, which I thought that's what I was supposed to do, but I guess not, according to 13-year-olds. Um so I will be. I have gotten it very much so, very hard from thirteen-year-olds over the last few days on Call of Duty. Not as hard as the Astros should get it when they visit New York for the first time. They should be relentlessly mocked, chided, booed, destroyed, whatever other synonym I can use for those verbs. They should get it all. What are the odds on another lecture pointing down from the pulpit of goodness and purity? Do we get another lecture from Dusty Baker? What was Trevor Lawrence to go first overall? <laughs> okay. My, my, higher. Beyond belief. Minus 10,000. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty, will not, Dusty will not be able to refrain from, again, lecturing fans for mocking on the Astros and calling, no them out, calling them out for cheating and showing no remorse. And, in fact, lashing back. Dusty is going to do it. We know that. Yes. He, what do you, they couldn't. Good. I was just going to say, they couldn't take inflatable trash cans like at the Angels game, which, yeah. you know, then provoked Dusty right. to all lecture us. That's you know right. what I mean? The, <laughs> lecture, the, lecture, the lecture came after facing the Angels fans. Right. Dusty, oh, my God. 
the affluent Angels fans in Anaheim, like they couldn't handle it. So now you're gonna go to New York, and now you're like, what's gonna happen? Oh my God, you can't do it. You can't. Please, Dusty, don't do it. What do you think will happen in the series? Actually, just in general, who is the better team? Because neither one has gotten off to a great start. Yankees have started to get their pitching together. You know, the last four or five games. I want to say the Yankees, like once the grand sample size plays out, is the better team, right? Like you don't really, I don't think you really love the back end of the rotation for Houston, but I think the same could be said for New York. So I think ultimately you go to the lineups and and if fully healthy and ready to go, I think the Yankees have the edge. So I think when all is said and done, when all 162 games are played, we hope, I would think that the Yankees are the better team. But they are... They're playing a they're they're on a fine line with the pitching staff because part of yes. part of the improvement the last couple of days has been guys who listen if you're gonna get 10 Ks every once in a while and you know pitching well into the game from Corey Kluber yeah I mean if you're getting 80 percent of what Corey Kluber was at his peak yeah the Yankees are gonna be freaking great if you're gonna get Jamison Tyon actually being able to you know go out there and throw five or six innings consistently without getting destroyed. That's going to help. I will say the other thing on the Yankee freakout. So they're 14 and 14 now. When you looked at the list of injuries, I mean, they they have been missing some key guys in the lineup. I mean, the fact that, you know, Judge has been in and out with whatever his issue is. The other one is Luke Voigt's a good player. Mm-hmm. And I know he's just starting his uh, he's just starting his rehab in terms of actually getting on the field and swinging the bat. So when he comes back, that's a good weapon. And uh, eh, who knows? Maybe long shot. They also have uh, Miguel Andujar who could be part of the mix. He's a guy a couple of years ago at you know, 27 and 90 with like 47 doubles. He's been hurt basically the last two years. So as they get healthier, um, they still are going to be, I think, a 90-plus win team. But, you know, some of the expectations of being a 100-win team are probably out the window now since they're off to a 14-14 and 14 start. Well, and I think the worries, right, for the New York Yankees aren't so much like the talent they have. It's the fact that, like, these guys that we're talking about, like Aaron Judge, for example, the prime, you know, the guy at the front of this, the injuries have been an issue. So it's not even so much, hey, if this, you know, this team, I don't know about them. It's, no, like, the issue has been injury, something that's kind of been out of his control, and it's been there for a really long time. Like, you, can you count that Aaron Judge is going to be healthy by the time you get to the postseason, right? A lot of these pitchers that the Yankees have have injury histories. They're coming off of major injuries, so can you trust that they're going to be ready to go for the postseason? And I think that's the problem with the Yankees. It's been availability, and that's always troublesome because that's not something you can control. More of Cofield and Company is on the way, live in the Finley Toyota Studios.